Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Our mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. This is Jordan Rich. Today, a discussion about health value assessments, about drug costs, and the potential implications for men diagnosed with prostate cancer. My guests on the line are Robert Popovian, Doctor of Pharmacy and Vice President of U.S. Government Relations for Pfizer Incorporated, and Dr. William Smith, Ph.D. Visiting Fellow in the Life Sciences from the Pioneer Institute of Boston. Gentlemen, first off, thanks for joining us. Robert, I'll start with you. Can you tell us more about health value assessments in general, since our listeners might not all be familiar with this terminology? Well, uh, the measurement of value, it's extremely important. Uh, And the reason it is important is because at the end of the day, if the value is incorrectly measured, uh, it restricts access to those medicines for those patients. And ultimately, it will hurt, you know, what the medicines are intended to do, which is help patients, longevity and quality of life and everything else. This is Bill. Um, the real issue is uh, how you assess the value. And the value, of course, is, is a key ingredient in, in every decision on, on medical care, uh, not just in, in the drug world. And I would argue that the, the market makes these decisions. There's not super smart people out there who can figure out the whole universe and decide which treatments people get. That tens of thousands of physicians and millions of patients see whether a drug is effective and safe, and if it is, it tends to grow uh, in the marketplace. So let's talk about the health value assessment when it comes to prostate cancer and drugs related to it. And I'll start again with Robert. Explain how a health value assessment works in your world. The way that the health value assessment works and this is where it gets complicated, is that they look at individual, the best way to do it is to look at individual patient and see what that individual patient's value is towards the treatment. The difficulty of this doing this on a global basis or population basis is that every patient is different. And in addition, a patient, for example, with prostate cancer just is not suffering from that one disease. Most patients have multiple chronic diseases. So when you add up all those other value propositions for other diseases, it's almost impossible to have one value measure that accurately then signifies what is that patient wanting from that treatment. Bill, what's your assessment of value assessment here? Is it too broad, too general, as Bob points out? It's too broad and too general, but it's a cookie-cutter approach where they try to use one standard, one score to rate every medicine for every possible patient within a therapeutic area, and that becomes problematic. In the area of cancer, for example, these value assessments, at least the ones that are used in Europe and used by ICER in the United States, the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, one of the most important scores is how long a patient uh, lives after taking a medication, uh, length of, of life. So if you have a breakthrough medication that would give a prostate cancer um, patient, for example, six or eight more months of life, not a full year, that medicine is going to get a lower score. Um, And that's a real disadvantage of these cost-effective methodologies when it comes to cancer in particular, that they they require for a perfect score a full year of life. and, and, and in cancer, you know, people are, would be quite thrilled maybe to have eight more months of life if they were to have a, a very devastating diagnosis. And those methodologies, again, discount eight months versus a year. Well, is there a way to tweak it or improve on the system? So tweaking 
being it ne- is never going to work. And the reason being is as an economist, I can tell you that you provide the same data points and data to five different economists. They, were co- they will come up with five different assessments. And the reason being is that assessment is somewhat subjective. And this is why economics is more of an art than a hardcore science. That is a known fact within the economic world that you can never come up with the 100% answer. What you come up with is sort of a direction that can be taken. So tweaking it will make it better, but it's never going to get to a point that's going to be good enough for it to be used as a binary decision. So you can never take this assessment and make coverage decisions just based on these assessments. And that's a key point. So you can never get to a point that is a perfection. How do you uh, respond to that, Bill? Well, again, I go back to my earlier point, that, and I agree with Robert on, on the uh, economics being a, an art, not a science. But I go back to my earlier point that uh, decisions in the marketplace, whether it's in healthcare or cell phones or, or television sets, the market tends to be smarter than individual economists who might be doing a, a study of a particular value. Now, I'm not saying those, those studies never have insights and never provide any, any valuable information. In fact, they do. People should consult with them. But generally, this, the marketplace is smarter than in the collective than an individual economist with, armed with a certain methodology that, again, has certain assumptions that can be considered arbitrary. Gentlemen, one organization doing a lot of health value assessment is known as ICER. That's an acronym standing for the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, based here in Boston. Is this the kind of organization people and patients can turn to for sound advice? So my opinion is that there's not one organization that the consumer needs to turn to to be able to understand how the medicines will benefit them individually. The problem with ICER is, again, going back to our original comments, is that they take a very population-level look at these disease areas. So they try to develop methodology which is sort of arbitrary about what they include and don't include. And then in addition, they're looking at the disease as a unit. So they're looking at somebody who has prostate cancer. But as I explained previously, patients who suffer from prostate cancer may also suffer from multiple other chronic illnesses. Their value assessment almost becomes an impossibility to do, whether we like it or not. So, yeah, is ICER an entity? Yes, they are an entity that is doing some analysis. Are they the only game in town? No. There are other type of assessments that need to be done by the patient to decide whether or not this is an important therapy for them and for them as an individual. And the biggest assessment will come from their discussions individually with the person who's treating them because that person who is the physician or any kind of a provider has probably the most level of information about them. Hmm. So to me, ICER cannot be the only arbiter of value in the ecosystem that we currently have. There needs to be other type of assessments that are done by patients and also individual payers such as insurers, pharmacy benefit managers federal government and employers. William Smith, I'll ask you the same question. And also, where do you see the future of healthcare transparency going? I mean, there's information overload in every aspect of life. Is is this boding well for patients out there in general? I agree with Robert. I'd like to um, sort of discuss where ICER's methodology is most problematic. So if you think about a commercial health plan, you know, the Harvard Pilgrims and the Tufts out there, they're reading ICER reviews 
I think that's fine because they have sort of the right incentives in place in the sense that they want that Harvard Pilgrim wants to keep their premiums low for the employers that hire them to cover their their employees. But they also have incentives in place to make the benefits that they provide a quality benefit. So they don't want to deny millions of drugs to, to the patients because the employers are not going to be happy about that and neither are the employees. So they have a good set of incentives in place, keep costs lower but also provide a quality benefit. So that, that's going to mitigate against using ICER as the final definitive decision maker on what drugs should be provided. In conclusion, let's do this. Let's give armchair advice to the consumer, to the patient. In this case, uh, our population deals with prostate cancer. Any friendly advice that you can offer as people explore and uh, navigate the healthcare system when it's their turn? Let's start with you, Bob. My recommendation is that in organizations such as ICER or any organization that tries to mitigate everybody else's uh, thought process and wants to be the binary decision maker, that means yes or no on coverage, is a dangerous proposition for them as patients. Nobody says that evidence-based medicine should not be practiced, but the evidence-based medicine should be based on a variety of data points. And those data points have to flow to the person that knows them the best, which is the physician. And that physician and the provider or the provider need to basically think about data points from previous treatment of patients that they've treated as an individual who is uh, a prostate cancer specialist. It needs to be based on expert opinion that's coming from organizations such as the American Urological Association. It needs to rely on data points that are um, real-time, not just static information. And this is another thing that we didn't really discuss, is that a lot of reports that come out of organizations such as ICER are based on static data. As soon as you will take that information and incorporate it, your assumption is that the science is not evolving anymore and adopt that at some point. And the fourth thing that I would say that the patients need to do is just look at themselves as individuals and decide what is best for them and have that discussion with the person again that knows them the best, which is the physician, the provider that's taking care of them for that ailment. And Dr. Smith, your take on the same question, if you would. The information age is a blessing and a curse. I mean, what I would recommend to patients, of course, is to talk in detail with their doctor and ask a lot of questions. And if they're not satisfied with the treatment options being laid out by their, their own particular doctor, find another doctor, get a second opinion. But there's also an enormous amount of valuable information, not just ICER reviews, but there's information on clinical trials, there's information on particular drugs and how they've done in different studies. Again, it's, it's a curse to have so much data, it's bewildering. But on the other hand, if you refine it to your particular condition and the particular treatment options available to you, there's a lot of very valuable information that patients and their caregivers and their family members should be reading to help make an informed judgment and decide whether they agree with the physician's advice. My concluding statement is that I'm, I'm, a little, I'm frustrated with media coverage of what's coming out of some of these biotechnology and pharmaceutical laboratories. You know, cost and price are important, but we are on the verge of breakthroughs that are, uh, you know, like biblical miracles in the sense that diseases, cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, sickle cell disease, hemophilia, all these diseases have potential cures on the horizon. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about price and cost, which is a, a, a valuable conversation. But I think people need to pay attention to how 
revolutionary. The breakthroughs are emerging in science, and be very proud of that. It's a really, uh, we're entering one of the greatest scientific revolutions as far as human beings are concerned in human history, and there ought to be an emphasis on that. You've been listening to a discussion about health value assessments, drug costs, and the potential implications for men diagnosed with prostate cancer. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Robert Popovian, Vice President, U.S. Government Relations for Pfizer Incorporated, and Dr. William Smith, Ph.D. and Visiting Fellow in the Life Sciences from the Pioneer Institute of Boston. This podcast brought to you in part by a grant from Pfizer. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also download and listen on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This podcast was brought to you in part through a grant from Pfizer. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.